Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Nate here, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Brooke Walsh. She's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon who has some amazing advice for medical students trying to match into dermatology. The first minute is a little choppy of this episode, but after that, it clears up, and she has some great advice that I hope you stick around and listen to. With that being said, I'll see you on the skin side. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am joined today with Dr. Brooke Walls. She is a dermatologist and a Mohs surgeon out here in Colorado, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, thank you for having me today. Um, as Nate said, I'm Brooke Walls. I'm a board-certified dermatologist. I went to undergrad at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I studied international affairs and Spanish, and then did all my prereqs for med school on my own. Um, and then uh, went to med school at CCOM in Chicago, Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine, um, and really enjoyed my training there. I felt like the clinical uh, training there was exceptional, being in a big city. Wasn't my favorite uh, city to go to, but after living there, um, just have huge respect and miss it a lot, actually. Um, after med school, I went uh, into uh, Additional internship. So when I applied uh, almost 20 years ago, the residency and internships were not linked. We had to do them separately. Did uh, and you tried to do if you knew you wanted to go into dermatology, try and get to uh, internship that maybe is linked or has a derm affiliated with it. And so um, one of my top choices was the program down in Largo, Florida, um, because they have a very strong surgical. Uh, training there. So I did match into the training program there. Um, and then uh, the, I ended up not the first year I applied, the second year. We'll get into that later. But I, the second year I applied for Durham residency, I did match Largo um, and spent three years there, then did uh, my cutaneous oncology most fellowship at Brigham Women's Harvard in Boston. And currently, um, I'm back in Colorado, where I'm born and raised. I live in uh, the Aspen Valley area. Work at a clinic that is now in a called Epiphany Dermatology, but it used to be Aspen Dermatology. Awesome. So, what do you think you miss most about Chicago? Oh, <laughs> you know the. But from a medical perspective, the diversity there is just, you get to see everything. You get to work with people from all over the world, um, you know, from your attendings to your other residents, to the med students, uh, from the, just the life itself. Uh, you know, it had a huge nightlife, great food, the friendliest people for such a big city. Um, easy to navigate. You can just get anywhere and, um, you know, it, it was just really fun. Walkable city, but still huge. <laughs> yeah, I spent some time there when I went to, uh, I went, to, I was in the Navy. I did four years in the Navy, but I did boot camp there. And then I did my training there. So we'd go on the weekends when we had free time to go visit Chicago and stuff like the Sears Tower and all that stuff. It was a, 
it was a cool city, but I wasn't used to the uh, like the change in weather so rapidly from the Midwest. So. The winters in Chicago are some of the most brutal winters I've ever experienced. And I lived in Alaska too. So um, yeah, th that was, that was eye opening. Yeah. Okay. I want to dive into our first question. I like to ask this question. Why did you choose dermatology? And when did you know that was for you? Okay. So I, I had always had um, a, kind of an interest in dermatology. Um, I'm red hair, super fair skin. My mom has had multiple melanomas, lots of skin cancers. I had acne. So I feel like growing up, the dermatologist was kind of like our primary care physician. And so he's always uh, exposed to it and thought it was interesting. Um, and then I did know that I, I was really interested in med school and sciences. And so I thought that I would probably end up doing that. Um, and, you know, I, everyone tells you, I feel like I got a lot of harsh criticism like it's really hard to get into you can't do it you're not smart enough your grades aren't high enough you know and for some reason I had this confidence um maybe from my parents or something that was like well why not try you know well, why can't I try it if I'm looking at my entire life I want to choose something that's going to be fulfilling and make me happy and also because then I'll be able to provide a better care to my patients and it always kind of lean towards dermatology. So I kept pursuing it. Um, and then when I was in med school, you know, I loved the first two years. I, I loved to learn and be challenged. And then I got into my third year and started the clinicals, you know, inpatient ICU. And I was devastated. I was like depressed. And I was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Like, I hate the hospital. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I've just spent all this money on my medical training and I, I don't know where I'm going. And uh, I was really hopeful that, you know, when I got into my, my electives and got to do dermatology, that I, I would feel that sense of like happiness again and excitement. And I did. And so that, that kind of, that was key for me. I knew I wanted, I liked surgery. And I kept kind of searching for something that maybe I could do that wasn't so hard to get into. Um, but it, yeah, I always came back to dermatology. And it was interesting because I would think of all these different avenues of like, well, maybe I could do pathology and then I'll fellowship in derm path or I'll do general surgery and then I'll fellowship in plastic. So it always came back to skin somehow. That's awesome. I was I was going to ask if there were any other specialties that might have swayed your interest during that time frame. Yeah, uh, another big one. Um, I like it when people tell me I can't do something because it motivates me. And so somebody told me, "Oh, you can't do orthopedic because you're too small." I'm like five one, a hundred pounds, and um, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to get into ortho. I'm going to just prove everybody wrong." Well, I went to my first like ortho surgery, and there was like flash guards up and chisels and saws. And I was just horrified. I thought, I, I think I need a surgical approach that has a little bit more finesse to it. So it, it was not because of my stature, but just because of my interest. Right. I think that's awesome that you made the point that when people kind of say you can't do this, you can't do that, it gives you motivation and just the drive to be better. And I think that's probably why you are where you are today. And we'll talk, touch on some of those as you were the first DO resident to go to Harvard and you opened up your first Mohs clinic in Alaska. So those are some feats that basically show your character and what you do. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, I just want to talk about uh, the match now. I know you said 
you got into an intern year, but you did not match into dermatology your first year. I was wondering if you can kind of expand on that and, and how you went into matching the second time. Okay. Um, I think that's one thing with dermatology that's really hard to, to um, you know, have faith that this is the right thing for you because out of all the applicants, about a third matched that first round. And when you're young and eager, you think, oh, you know, if I don't get it, then that's the end of it. You know, there's, there's nothing else I can do. When in reality, if you ask almost every dermatologist, there is some hurdle or obstacle that they faced, whether it was matching into derm or in their residency or in med school, um, that they had to really overcome. And so for me, it was matching into dermatology that first year. Um, and, you know, I got, I think, seven or eight interviews. And one was even an MD interview. Um, so it wasn't that I wasn't a good uh, candidate. And it was just that I didn't match that year for whatever reason. Um, and I was really depressed. I wasn't expecting to have that level of um, like depression uh, with not matching because usually I'm very optimistic and I'm like, oh, I can just reapply, no big deal. And um, I just felt this fire in me. And I was like, I, I, when people ask me, well, what are you going to do? You want to go into our family program? I said, no, I'm going to reapply. And most people just thought I was crazy. They, they said, well, that's stupid. And, um, you know, I, I just, I felt this um, drive to keep following my dreams. I mean, we're young. We've invested four years of med school, an internship. Like, why would I, um, you know, give up at that point? And so I found a research fellowship that actually was played in Tampa and it was a melanoma research. Um, and I worked with the whole cutaneous oncology team at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa and um, just got a huge exposure to what they do from an oncology perspective. And I also got 10 publications that year, got to do a ton of research, um, see some amazing surgeries, advanced melanomas kind of, um, they had just started coming out with some of the immune mo modulator um, medicines for, for melanoma. And so they were the cutting edge research center. Um, and so that obviously was great for my resume. It also gave me a lot of confidence. So I when I went to that second round of interviews, I only got three interviews the second time around. So, you know, your, your chances uh, you know, statistically get slimmer as you have to reapply. But that doesn't mean that you're not a more qualified candidate at that time. And so one of the interviewers, you know, he, he point blank asked me, he said, you know, on paper, you're great. There's a reason, you know, uh, this happened. And he goes, so why should we uh, accept you into our program, you know, this upcoming year? And uh, I just felt so confident and I said, well, I'm the best candidate there is. I'm gonna be a great resident and a great dermatologist and hopefully I get to go through your program to do that. Um, and I think that the year before, I didn't have that level of confidence by any means. I, I did not think I was better than anyone. I thought everybody was way better than me. And um, you can't go into an interview thinking that. You really need to know your strengths and, and display them. I, I love that you said that and you show that you built this confidence over the year that you had to take off on, and do the research. I think a lot of us, myself included, 
I'm trying to apply next year, but we go into these, uh, these applications and these interviews with people who are stellar, all the one, everyone who's trying to match in dermatology have these amazing feats that they've done through their four years and, and prior to the four years. And you're like, am I qualified enough? And you go through that imposter syndrome that everyone tells us not to fall into. And I think going in with that confidence and knowing and looking back and seeing all the stuff you've done for the last four to six years that puts you in that position to be in that seat is important to remind yourself how confident and how good of an applicant you are. So I'm glad that even though it took you a year that you gained that confidence and it made you, um, yeah, allowed you to get in. Yeah. And I feel really lucky too. And just blessed. I think sometimes it's just timing being in the right place at the right time. Um, residencies are looking for certain things. So I was taking it very personally when it wasn't, you know, it's, it's a numbers game. It's, um, they can only take so many people each year. And yeah, throughout my training, I've met so many people who um, maybe had to do a family medicine residency, or they took three or four years to get it. Um, and those people who are, are tenacious and really fight for their dreams are so happy at what they are doing. You know, they just know what a blessing it is to get that training and to get into dermatology. And they, you know, they cherish it. Um, they, they don't take it for granted at all. So when I look back, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other way. I, that hard year is so important to who I am now. I love that. I always say that doing hard things will make you successful no matter what. So I'm glad that you said that. And sometimes you don't choose those hard things. They choose you and you just have to go through it. Awesome. I do want to ask, was that program that where you said I was the best applicant in the pool? Was that at Largo? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I know um, one of my co-hosts who is also a host of this show. He had Dr. Miller on this show a few oh, episodes yeah. ago. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. Just kind of the way he spoke is kind of how you're talking about now. Like he started basically with preceptorship and they didn't yeah. have a residency and how he was just like, kind of like scrappy and hardworking to make a name for himself. And I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't put any interest in any program yet just because I'm still researching them all, but hearing him talk and hearing you talk from Largo is kind of like my personality. And I would, enjoy going there it sounds like so that's pretty cool dr miller i i have so much respect for him he really hands down is just the nicest guy i mean i could i could call him right now and talk to him i know his family and he i mean he crawled his way from the bottom because absolutely if you haven't listened to that podcast you guys should all get on and listen to him because it, he's got an amazing story he um basically made his own residency program um against all odds and people told him because he's a CEO, he can't do it and um and then he's so successful he's a successful dermatologist his patients love him he's had a residency program for over 20 years and trained i don't know how many of us he's trained now but yeah and he, he expects the best from his residents you know the best that you can do um so he, he's just amazing person great respect for him. i love that thanks for sharing that just to get back to the questions that we have aligned up, I know that you went to Harvard or Brigham, Brigham Women's Health. Is that correct? I don't want to say it wrong. Yes. Yeah. Brigham Women's Hospital. Yeah. Okay. And I know when I first met you and we met in person, you told me that you were the first DO to go to that fellowship. And I was yeah. curious if you can expand on that. Maybe any biases that you dealt with um, as yeah. a DO and how that training was. Okay. Well, uh, I'll tell you about my fellowship. Uh, applications and stuff. So the year that I applied was right before the merge of the DO and uh, MD world. And none of the Mo's surgical fellowships were taking DO. I got like five interviews and they all, and I flew all over the world and they're like, 
oh, but we can't actually take an osteopath this year because the APD says they'll pull our funding. And I was like, great. So I was basically shut down from the Moe's fellowships. And there was two DOs at the time, CDO Moe's fellowships. Um, they weren't well accredited um, and I didn't apply to them because they usually take from within. Um, and so then I looked at this program at Brigham and um, they had a cutaneous oncology. You got to do Mohs, you got to do melanoma. And after, you know, my training and my research here, like I just have a huge passion for cutaneous oncology. And so I was like, oh, well, let's apply. Like, I'll go see what it's all about. And I got to be really honest with you. So the program is under Brigham. When you go there, it's Harvard. And so I didn't even know I was applying to Harvard. And I get there and I call my husband. I'm like, I'm at Harvard. Harvard asked me for an interview. <laughs> and, um, so I feel kind of, I was very naive about what I was doing. But the program itself was exceptional. Like I, I got to do a cutaneous, um, a T cell lymphoma clinic every week um, for an entire year. So I, I saw 20 of you know the rarest patients every week and then you know really advanced melanoma patients on you know these trials we work you know multidisciplinary approach to everything and then um my most fellow it really turned out to be an awesome opportunity for me because when she heard um i was going to go to alaska after the fellowship and be in a rural area and i, I wanted to do most she said well i want you to work with me and my fellow. I want you to have all the ABT criteria met for your Mohs Fellowship. Um, and so really created uh, a Mohs Fellowship within the cutaneous oncology for me. So that I had, you know, all the cases, all the guidelines met so that if the ABD ever changed any of their policies, that I would be, you know, considered a fellow in their, their certification program, which is, you know, um, kind of exclusive right still, but. Um, uh, yeah, it ended up being awesome. And being at Harvard, yeah, being the first CEO there, um, it was interesting. It was very um, nerve wracking. I was, you know, I kind of, that confidence that I had built up kind of wavered again. <laughs> and um, the, you know, my preceptor would ask me, you know, do you have, what books did you read in residency? Do you take boards? You know, all these like questions where you're like, yeah, our standards are the same, if not higher than yours, because we have to compete with the allopathic world. Um, and I think after a few months, they, they realized that the level of our training is as good as, if not better than some of their programs. Um, so I felt very validated that, you know, that they got to experience that and had exposure to osteopathic world. Um, they, and also I was surprised that they were so kind to me. Everybody I worked with, um, from you know some of the younger uh, attendings to the older ones, were just kind. Um, they cared about their patients, dermatology, and they were in this academic setting, and they just wanted to train good doctors. That's awesome. I want to kind of ask a question. Um, I know that the big allopathic programs are really academic based. And from mm -hmm. what I've heard and talking to other people, the DO programs are very kind of like community based. Mm -hmm. How was that for you, like merging into that, that, uh, that environment? Um, uh, it was good. I, yeah, it was overwhelming for sure. And I don't understand a lot of, you know, their 
research, um, and I was very honest with them. You know, the research I've done is very clinical. I've written some papers, but I've done nothing on the level that you guys do. I mean, one of the attendings I work for, he gets published in the JAD every other week. He's phenomenal. He's ridiculously smart. Um, but I could have a conversation with him. He's very down to earth. Um, and then with the the Mo's, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing there being an academic center is just that we got big cases. We got to see kind of the rarest of the rare. So I didn't feel like uh, from, you know, the cutaneous oncology perspective, it was too much different. Um, it gave me exposure to um, more of that research base. Uh, I was also, as a fellow, required to teach, which was a little daunting as well. So I had Harvard dermatology residents, and I was there attending at the VA. Um, so <laughs> that, that was interesting. Again, I think I learned more than they probably did. You know, it was a great relationship and really fun for me. That's awesome. Since uh, 2020, the DO and MD residency programs have had a big merger, and people from my class, 2022, 2021 class um, can apply to both and get into both. And that's kind of something that we've been, I know like my fellow osteopathic students have been like wondering about is like, how is it transitioning from like a DO to like a big academic community center or going to like a smaller program where it's more community-based. So I'm glad that you were able to elaborate on that a little bit. So you did say that you went to Alaska and you started, we talked about starting your first Mohs clinic in Alaska. What were the challenges and how did that go? Um, it, it went pretty well. It, it just takes a lot more, um, reading and understanding this, you know, the laws of like your CLIA and, you know, how to set up a lab. What do you do as the lab director? It's a lot of paperwork, honestly. Okay. Um, and when I was in, in Boston, Maya fellowship director, she really, she guided me. She gave me everything that they had at their clinic because she knew I was going to send at my clinic. And so I felt like I had a really great support from her, from her histiotech, um, and was able to just kind of take her lab and make it my own lab kind of based off of what she did. Because obviously being at Harvard, she had one of the highest standards for a Mohs lab. And so I just wanted to base my lab off of that. Um, in Alaska, you know, I had, a, uh, I was in a multi-specialty group and I had a office manager. So she really facilitated a lot of stuff that I needed to get done. Um, I would say the biggest thing was just the um, amount of responsibility that was placed on me being fresh out of training, you know, and then you're starting to see patients and your lab director of your Mohs clinic, you know, that, that's a lot. And so for me, it was just managing that. And I did that basically by limiting how many patients I would see and how many Mohs surgeries I would do at first. So that I felt very confident in being able to clear cases and take really good care of patients. Were there any uh, abnormal cases that you saw out there in Alaska? Oh my gosh. Okay. So my favorite case was this verrucous carcinoma case that came in. Um, this guy, a verrucous carcinoma is a, um, basically like a squamous cell, but it looks like uh, a wart when it first starts, but it grows incredibly fast. And so he had this five centimeter growth on his, the bottom of his foot going in between the fourth and fifth toes that he had. Um, and the other doctor who he had seen was an orthopedic surgeon. And he said, well, the only way to cure this is to amputate. And so he wanted a second opinion. <laughs> so 
came to see me and I said, no, you can. Um, I, I honestly have never seen one of these in person or, or done it with Moe's, but you can clear it with Moe's. Um, and yeah, so we did. It was two days, I think uh, 10 stages. And he was the only patient I took care of within those two days because it was such a large specimen that it overwhelmed my histo tech. Like we had to cut it up into like 12 different segments and, and then I had to review every slide. Um, and then the repair, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I actually let it heal by secondary tension. And we were down a muscle and tendon at this point. And um, I had him go to see occupational therapy so that his skin wouldn't heal together so that he'd still have movement in between all his toes. Um, and then we also had to follow up with PET scans because the other thing about the Bruca's carcinoma is that if it does travel, it'll go to your regional lymph nodes rather quickly. So for the first five years, he would get uh, PET scans for the first, I think, every three months, and then it went to six months. And I still keep in contact with him and call him every year and just say, hey, how was your PET scan? How's your foot? So That's an awesome case. Uh, yeah, that, that, I don't think I'll ever see anything like that ever again. I think it's also awesome that you said you still call the, the patient up and that just like, again, shows your character as a, a physician. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You, you care about them and you worry about them. I wasn't expecting that. Um, Cause when you're a resident, you're shuffled around a lot. So you don't get that um, relationship built when you're the attending and it's all on you and you get to know them and you know, their families, you know, what they do, what their likes are. Then you really care. <laughs> And you worry about them, you're up at night. So, so was there any uh, cool non-derm stuff you did out in Alaska? Any like dog sledding or anything? Um, <laughs> we didn't actually do any dog sledding. I got to see the start of the Iditarod one year because it started in Fairbanks. It was like negative 30 degrees on the, on the frozen river. <laughs> we went to Denali a bunch. Uh, they, they have a, Denali is the, the big national park there. Um, and usually you can't drive back on the road. You have to get on a bus, but they have this, they open it up to a lottery every year for four days. And so you can apply for this lottery system. And I won. And so my husband and I, along with like 20 other people, got to drive all the way through Denali Park. And we saw just the most spectacular things. Like we saw a family of lynx. So these little baby lynx ran out in front of us. And of course we saw grizzlies and um, uh some eagles and everything else. that's pretty cool so what ended up what ended up bringing you back to colorado we started a family and um alaska is just really far from most of our family it's usually a 12-hour red eye to get up to fairbanks and it, it was too much for our parents so and I, I would say the winters in alaska i i wasn't gonna last there forever so <laughs> they're cold and dark um the auroras are amazing, but uh, I, I'm from Colorado. We have relatively mild winters, but we still get the four seasons. And so I think that that was calling us home. Yeah, I'm originally from Southern California, and the winters haven't been bad here the last three years. So I think that's okay. <laughs> Front range is very mild. You know, you get a couple of dumps and you get some fun snowstorms, but then it dries up. All right, we can wrap it up. I appreciate your time. I was just curious for... Any advice you have for students trying to match into dermatology? Oh, I have so much advice. You know, I think the biggest thing is be confident. Um, really do some soul searching. Make sure it's really what you want to do. And then just go for it. And, and know that um, 
every single person, whether it's in medicine, dermatology, or just in life, we are all going through things. We all have obstacles and there is not one path to get to your end goal. And that sometimes taking the scenic route is actually the best way for you to do. So just kind of trust the process. And, you know, I always say, make your big goals, but allow for um, some flexibility in those goals. Such awesome advice. I appreciate you. And thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Diga Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to DermInterestPod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 